Genesis chapter 21. And um, before I turn there, um, before, before you uh, go there, I guess you can go there. There's one last admission, uh, uh, omission, ad, uh, confession. Uh, the right word is admonition. One last admonition that uh, I'd like to make this morning in regards to the elections that our country's um, recently going through. Um, and I don't mean just the presidential election. I mean all the elections, local, state, and, and, and beyond but also in relationship to the state of our nation and the opportunity, I believe, that God's given so many of us who's called out to Him in prayer and um, asked God to extend His grace and His mercy to our nation. I know many of you um, have been praying during that time for God to give favor. And, and um, if you remember from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, I've been reading it to you, and um, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And I don't know about you, but man, I want that. I want that so bad. I want God to heal our land. And I know that that comes by changing people's hearts for people coming to the Lord, turning away from their sin and, and, and turning to the Lord. And when I first read this verse a few weeks ago, I pointed out that if we are going to, if we the church here, the greater church in Livingstone Calvary Chapel, if we are going to take advantage, full advantage of this time that God has given us, then we must allow for him to begin by examining our own lives, our own hearts in order to reveal the sin that is in us so that we might be um, so that we might turn away from our sin and be useful tools in his hands. Additionally, I pointed out that in this moving away from our sin, we have to humble ourselves. I mean, it's right there in the text. We have to humble ourselves. If my people humble themselves before him, and um, we humble ourselves before God, which we talked about last week in detail, but that's that living in that place of complete dependency upon God. We must do that. We must come back to that place where we're being completely dependent upon God, yielding to Him His rightful place in our lives as provider and protector, Lord and King and Savior and Judge, He alone. But as we do these things, guys, they must be done in faith. We've been talking about that over and over again as we've been going studying through the book of Genesis and reading about the life of Abraham. And next week when we get to chapter 22 with Abraham taking Isaac on Mount Moriah to, 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 to potentially sacrifice him back to the Lord, we see all these, these, this, this journey of faith, this school of faith, this, this, this living and example of faith by Abraham. And, and as we look at what God's calling us to do, we've got to do these things as we move forward with, with faith, meaning we must be living with, guys, listen to this. It, it, I, it really, this is, the, this is so connected to what we've already been talking about, but we must be living with the hopeful expectation that God is going to do many great and mighty things. We have to do that. We have to be living with this expectation that God's going to be doing great and mighty things. And I know that there's a lot of doubts in our hearts and in our minds because of the way that our nation's been going for so long to the depth of sin and darkness that we've fallen. But I'm here to tell you, God's greater than those things. And when we live with the expectation that God is going to heal our land, you know what will happen is we'll begin to plan for it. Have you been planning for it? Or have you just been planning for the elections to take place and then you're like, okay, it's done planning for it 
and, and, and we need to be prepared for it. In other words, look at it like this. If you're expecting a guest to come over for dinner, let's say you're going to invite me over for some delicious food this evening. You would probably go home and prepare for that, right? You would maybe cook some food, maybe set the table, you know, those kinds of things that go along with that. You would be preparing for me coming over. Or if you were expecting the birth of a child, as some of you are, congratulations. If you were expecting the birth of your child, would there not be certain things that you would do as you live with expectation of that child's birth? You would be foolish just to, to, to come home from the hospital and have nothing done. No crib put together. Who's ever done that? That'll challenge your Christianity. You know, you would buy some diapers. You'd buy a car seat. You would do all these things. You would have this hopeful expectation. You would be living with this measure of faith and understanding that when we go to the hospital, we're going to come back with a baby, and we better be prepared. Likewise, if we believe God in his grace has given our nation a second chance, then we should expect that God is going to do some great and mighty things. Amen? So as we prepare for these things, you know what we should do? We should take some action. We should take some action. We should have a plan. We should be prepared. And in doing so, the foundational things of this is that we should, first of all, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because we can't do anything in our own strength. If we do, it's going to be a work of man. It's going to fail. But we want the work of God through the power and strength of His Holy Spirit. Not only that, we need to be filled with the power of the Spirit, but we need to be filled with the wisdom of God, our Father. And we need to do this in order that we might proclaim the good news message of God's grace and forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave up His life and rose from the grave to save any and every person from no matter how deep of despair they are in to save our nation. And with these truths, we must allow for God to pour out, here's what it comes down to, with these truths, we must allow for God to pour out his love through us into the lives of those that he puts into our path. Now, I'm not suggesting that God cannot heal our land if we don't live with expectancy by putting our faith in action. I'm not saying that it's somehow conditional upon that, that God's powerless if we don't have faith and plan and prepare and take action. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that living with expectancy and putting our faith into action, you know what it does? It opens our hands to do, it opens our mouths to speak, and our eyes to see the work and will of God coming to pass through us and around us. Therefore, living with expectation that God is going to heal our land and do many great and mighty things is believing that God once again will, or is believing that God not only will, but that he has been gracious to we, the people of the United States. In order that we as a nation might turn away from our wicked ways and return back to God. And I'm here to tell you that this is the only really way to make America great again. It's the only real way. Remember, in Romans chapter 2, this is such a cool verse. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that it's God's love and His kindness that what? 
leads us to repentance. And I believe that God once again showing our nation undeserved love and undeserved kindness. And therefore, I expect because of that, that he's going to do great and mighty things. And I believe that he is going to do what many in the church have come to believe is impossible because they've forgotten that we serve a God who makes all things possible. And I believe that we are going to see a revival within the church. I believe that we're going to see broken lives healed, abortion clinics closed down, addicts set free, and I believe we're going to see the porn industry collapse. I believe those things. And I believe God will do these kinds of things, these great things, by making the truth known right here. He's going to do it by making the truth known and his love shown through us. So let us choose to live with this hopeful expectation by putting our faith into action so that we are a part of what God's going to do. Father, I pray, God, that as we now dive into your word, Lord, that your truth would take hold of us. God, we believe your word to be true. We believe, God, that it can only be discerned by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray you would teach us this morning, God, that I would be your uh, mouth, that I would be... um, your humble vessel, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, chapter 21, verse 22 is where we're at in the book of Genesis. And it says there in verse 22, to begin with, it says, And it came to pass that at the time, that at that time, that Abimelech and Fiscal, the commander of his army, spoke with Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, meaning my descendants, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me into the land in which you dwelt. And Abraham said, simply he said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well, because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard it, heard of it until this day. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be witnesses that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Fishkel and the, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now, in the first half of this chapter, a couple of weeks ago, we read about the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Remember, Isaac, his name means laughter, who was the heir and also the inheritant of all the covenantal promises that God had made to Abraham when he brought him out of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. A promise to make him great, uh, to make from him a great and mighty nation, a promise to bless all the other nations through this chosen people, a promise for them to inherit the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and a promise to always be their God. 
But in addition to this miraculous and joyous birth of Isaac, we are told here, or we were also told last, a couple weeks ago in the first part of the chapter, about a conflict between Sarah and Hagar as a result of Isaac's birth. And we know that Sarah consequently came to Abraham, and she demanded that, that he cast Hagar on her son Ishmael, who had mocked Isaac, to cast them out. And even though this was a displeasing thing to Abraham, um, God commanded him to heed the wife of his voice and trust in the promises that he had made to Abraham to care for and to protect Ishmael. And so Abraham sent Ishmael and Hagar away. And I want to go back over that, but I wanted to, to touch on that because as we continue on now and finish this chapter, we read here of an encounter, an encounter of an agreement that was made between Abraham and Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And even though this account may seem to be an out-of-place, perhaps, interruption to the flow of the context, we can see the, the, the connection that it has to the birth of Isaac when we consider that Abraham is now dwelling in the land of the Philistines. Remember that he had received permission with the first encounter. And this connection is also seen when we consider the, the previous encounter with Abraham and Abimelech and, and in light of the words of Abimelech in verse 22, who had heard about this miraculous birth of Isaac and declared to Abraham these words, God is with you in all that you do. Now, it was back in chapter 20. You can look back there if you wish. We studied through it a couple of weeks ago where we read about the first encounter. And at that time, if you remember, Abimelech had been deceived by Sarah and Abraham. And it's not a good way to start off a relationship, is it? By deceiving someone? Unless, of course, you tricked your wives into marrying you guys. That, that one's okay. Some of us had to do that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but, but he was deceived by Sarah and Abraham, who, who said that Sarah was only Abraham's sister. And with this understanding, Abimelech had taken Sarah into his, his harem, but it was, it was only after God had appeared to Abimelech in a dream and, and, and revealed the truth to him about Sarah and Abraham. However, this information that, that Abimelech received, if you remember, it came with a warning from God. As God told Abimelech that he was a dead man for what he had done. As a result, Abimelech pleaded for his life and returned Sarah to Abraham, and God spared Abimelech. But Abimelech rebuked Abraham for his deception, for his deception and for the judgment that God had brought on him and his household. Now, as we read here of this second encounter between Abraham and Abimelech, and of this agreement that was made between them, we're, forced, we're first told of Abimelech's concern with Abraham's integrity. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so in verse 22, again, it says, And he came to pass that at the time that Abimelech and Fiscal, the commander of the army, spoke to Abraham, saying, Hey, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I had done to you, you will do to me in the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will. Now, it's understandable, because we know the history of a few things here. First of all, it's understandable that Abimelech had come to conclude that God was with Abraham in all that he had done, all that Abraham did, considering God had poured out his unmerited favor. And we have to see that as unmerited because even when Abraham messed up, God still poured out his favor upon him, that grace. 
And God had intervened in his behalf not too long ago in that situation with Abimelech to save Sarah. But God's favor was even more evident with this news of Abraham becoming a father at the age of 100 years old. And in light of this, seeing for a second time how the favor of God was upon Abraham, Abimelech thought it would be wise to establish a treaty with him. You ever see that? It's like God blessing the socks off of somebody and you're like, I need to hang out with that guy. Maybe some of it will rub off on me. You know, he, he realized that it would be best to be friends with Abraham, to establish a treaty with him, not to be his, his adversary. But there was this past encounter between them where Abraham's deception had nearly cost Abimelech his life. So it's understandable why Abimelech in verse 23 called, God, called Abraham's integrity into question, asking him, saying, hey, if we're going to go forward, then you're going to have to swear to me by your own God, by your God, that you're never going to de- deal falsely with me again. And the point is, is even though, the point is, is Abraham, he, he had been less than honorable. And in doing so, it affected the way that Abimelech thought of him. And even though we're never told what Abimelech had come to think about Abraham's God, whom Abraham served, we can, right, at the very least, conclude that Abraham's actions had not accurately portrayed the God whom Abraham had followed. Our God's not a God who deceives And the fact of the matter is, is the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with those who are not Christians, it does affect what others think about Jesus whom we profess to follow and serve. Therefore, we who take the name of Jesus and proclaim to be his followers, we must be careful in all of our relationships, our Christian relationships with brothers and sisters in the Lord, as well as those who are on the outside, non-Christians alike. In other words, we must deal honestly And graciously with people as we look to live with integrity and accurately represent Jesus, whom we say we're followers of. In fact, the Bible is clear in telling us that those who are on the outside, the Bible tells us that they're looking in. Those who are on the outside are looking into our lives and they're assessing the way that we live in order to see how we treat others in order to determine what our God is like. Are we loving? Are we forgiving? Are we patient? Are we kind? Or are we short-tempered, unforgiving? Because people look at those things and they go, wow, is that what your God's like? Who you profess to follow and serve? I want to have nothing to do with that at times. We've heard that, all of us. And I believe what has become a common teaching and focus within the church in regards to the church teaching and promoting the pursuit of happiness to the neglect of pursuing holiness has caused many in the world to conclude that we who call ourselves Christians are no different than the rest of the world. Consequently, our focus on self and lack of brotherly love have become additional excuses for so many people to not follow Jesus. And with these very things in mind, Jesus had spoken to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35, and told them that men would know that they were his disciples by their love for one another. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica and said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. I love that passage of scripture, by the way. 
to mind your own business, to work with your own hands. He says, as we commanded you, why? He says, so that you may walk circumspectly or properly to those who are outside. And, and Paul also wrote to the Colossians in chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, saying this. He says, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And there's no doubt that a life of holiness, a life of purity, and a life of integrity those things will cause people to ask about Jesus whom we profess to love and follow. In fact, in Colossians, Paul, when he writes to says, when he says to live this way in order to answer, in order to know how to answer each one, what he's really telling us is this. He's saying, he's saying when you live godly lives, when you treat people in a godly way, they're going to ask us questions about our faith and about our hope. Now, when Abraham was asked by Abimelech to swear that he would not deal falsely with him, with his offspring, and with his descendants in the future. Abraham, in verse 24, if you look there, he said, he simply said, I swear. In light of the things, in light of the things, it's important to point out what Abraham did not say rather than what he did say, considering he did not make any excuse in order to defend or to justify what he had previously done. So when he simply said and, and humbly swore to not deal falsely with the Abimelech in the future, it reveals that Abraham, first of all, he knew that he had wronged him, that he had wronged Abimelech, but it also reveals that he was aware of the fact that he had been in a bad example. Especially when you take the context of the scripture where we just read Abimelech had come to Abraham and pointed out that he had been watching him and had come to some conclusions as a result of it. Been watching you, Abraham. Now, Abraham's humble response reminds me of the New Testament admonition given to us in James chapter 5, verse 12, where it tells us, But above all things, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Guys, what this means is it means that when we're asked to make a promise, and people do all the time, can you do this? Can you be here? You know, when people ask us to make a promise or when we make a promise of our own volition to our wives, to our kids, to our friends, those kinds of things, you know what it means? It means we need to keep our word. We don't bail out at the last minute. We don't follow through. In fact, in Psalm 15, when King David asked this, he said, Lord, speaking to God, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? One of the answers that is given to us is this. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In light of this, I think it's safe to say that we should keep our own word the commitments that we make, even if we find out later on that it's something more than we expected, even if it comes to our own hurt. Now, I want to point out that this promise Abraham made to deal with Abimelech from that point forward, from this point forward in an honest and just way can also be seen as a willingness to make right what he had done wrong. Right? And the fact of the matter is, is we're not always going to do the right thing. 
If you haven't been to church in a long time and you're hearing church people say that and you're blown away, well, that's just the way it is, right? We don't do the right thing all the time. As a matter of fact, we're probably like Paul most of the time and where Paul says, the things that I will not to do, those are the things that I do. And the things that I will to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We're not always going to do the right thing, but even though we make mistakes and do things that do not honor God in the process, you know what, guys? We can still be men and women who are blameless. Blameless. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul was writing about to the church in Philippi when he said in, in, in chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 9 through 11, he said, he said, and this is my prayer, speaking to the Philippians, I'm praying for you, and this is my prayer for you. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. In other words, he's speaking about, I'm praying that you come to really know God and his will and his word more and more. Why? So that you may be able to discern, know, understand what is best. And as a result, he says, be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, being pure, being blameless, is not about perfection. It's not about being perfect. Being a blameless man, a blameless woman, is not about perfection. It's about being able and about being willing to do what is best after we've done something wrong. In other words, to ask for forgiveness and then to go and make it right, whatever that making it right is. I love Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 25 through 32 ties it together and it says this. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let your son go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him, do you understand that? When you do that, when you're angry and you're unwilling to make it right, when you're unwilling to seek forgiveness, you're giving place to the devil. Who's been there? I've been there where you lay in your bed at night and you're all angry. And, and what starts going through your mind? All these godly thoughts, right? <laughs> no, it's not. You just, the Satan and you have just made a, a, a deal and he's giving you all kinds of good ideas and you're going, yep. That's what people tell me anyway. <laughs> he goes on and he says, Let him who stole no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. See, making it right, being blameless, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessity are necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ has forgiven us. 
How appropriate is this verse in light of communion this morning, guys? He forgave us, or as he's saying, he's saying he loves us. He forgave us. He loved us. All those things that we've ever done as enemies of him. He forgave us. And we ought to forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. But it's even more than that because there's this, there's this with this idea of forgiveness, there's this idea of active pursuit. See, sometimes people hurt us and, and we reach out to them and they want nothing to do with us, but the Bible tells us there's, there's a, a process to go through, a pursuing of that love and forgiveness, of that restoration. In verses 25, as we read on, it says, it says, Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. And so Abraham, he took sheep and oxen, and he gave, to, gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And then Abimelech asked, he said, Abraham, what is this meaning of this, these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take them. Take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witnesses that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called the place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. See, there's, there's, even though there is this agreement to go forward, there was still this thing that had to be dealt with, Right? And in conclusion, I want to point out that there are some things going on in these verses, first of all, that are hard to explain in regards to exactly what they mean. Perhaps they're cultural um, um, things at the time. And, and I searched and searched through, through lots of commentaries, and everybody has their opinion, but none of them really are worth speaking. So we'll just stick with the Word of God. And but Because what is evident here, in my opinion, doesn't matter either. So for that matter. I'm not trying to say mine is better, but I just want to stick to what the Word of God is making known to us. And what is evident is that in light of this treaty that Abimelech was establishing with Abraham, there was this concern. There was this concern Abraham had regarding a well that he had dug what had been seized by Abimelech's servants. And clearly, clearly Abraham wanted some clarity. He wanted some resolution. And again, we're, we're called to work things out. That's part of what we're, what, what's being exampled to us here. There may be things, but don't let these things stand in, in the way of making it right, the relationship with whoever, those in the world or those out of the world, or, or, or meaning us as believers, as Christians, brothers, or, 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 or those who have not come to faith in Christ yet. And, 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 and there was this concern over this well that Abraham had dug, which had been seed by Abimelech's servants. And, and, and Abraham wanted some clarity. He wanted some resolution to this matter, to which Abimelech explained, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. He said he wasn't even aware of it until Abram had said it to him. And not only did Abraham, I want you to see what, what took place here, is, is that not only did Abraham take Abimelech at his word, okay? Because sometimes people will say something and inside you're going, yeah, right. 
And, and I don't know so much if this was it. It was Abimelech's servants. The Bible makes it clear. But Abraham just goes, okay, let's go forward. And, and he, he, he enters into this covenant and he puts some things out there to kind of bring some clarity to all of it. But not only was he taking Abimelech at his word, but you know what? He was making a decision to believe the best about Abimelech. To believe the best. And we see that Abraham, with the gift of the sheep and the oxen, he was really willing to set the past behind him. And sometimes we need to be willing to do that too, right? We can come and work it out, and sometimes it's not about hashing out the details. The he says, the she, the, the, the she says, and all this stuff. Sometimes it's just about a willingness to go, okay, let's just set the past behind us. I forgive you, you forgive me. Can we go forward together in this new covenant? And I think ultimately that's what these seven new lambs and the, the gifts are representing is this agreement to go forward with this understanding, to have this restoration, to set it behind. And not only that, what I see here, and I want to end with this. So if, if, if Chris, if you guys want to come on up, it's, I'm just going to close it down with this. We also see Abraham putting forth a really clear biblical principle, I think, that needs to be evident in our lives, especially, guys, as we prepare to live expectantly for the work that God is going to do, what we talked about at the very beginning. And what we see is we see that Abraham's ultimately seeking to live peaceably with Abimelech. And both of these things are good examples for us to follow, this, this willingness to believe the best and, and this willingness to live peaceably. But they must be applied to our lives. I'm going to just close by reading to you Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, which tells us this. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Just be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, and, and, and I love those two, two statements because Obviously, there's times when people will not be reconciled. But Paul's saying here, he says, he says, if it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, I mean, doing everything that you can within your means, live at peace with everyone. And how do we do this? He says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, he says, this is what we ought to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing this, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for Abraham's life and his willingness, Lord, to make things right with Abimelech, which really testifies to us, God, perhaps of a place that some of us are at this morning where we've been wronged, where we've been injured, or perhaps where we've wronged somebody or we've injured them, where we've been an ungodly example to those around us of exactly who you are, Father. And I pray, God, that um, these truths from your word would penetrate our hearts. God, we know that your word is truth that it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it has the ability to reach down into us and change us 
And I pray, God, that these truths and these examples and these encouragements would do that, God, so that we would be willing to perhaps step forward and do the hard thing, to, 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 to do the humbling thing. But God, that's really to be in the place where you live in humility and in obedience to your Father. So Father, as Abraham is exampled, and even more so as you've exampled to us, Father, may we follow your lead and receive the blessing that you have for us. And Father, if there's some people here that need to go and make things right, I pray you would be softening the hearts of those who we need to go to so that there may be um, true restoration. I pray, God, that you would give us courage and boldness to do what is right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.